Barbenheimer part two. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, uh, I can't believe I've just compared Barbie and Oppenheimer to a lollipop and a roast dinner. Where did it, that come from? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's what pressure does. That's a questionable, uh, <laughs> it's a questionable metaphor that, isn't it? Similarly, whatever. It's been a long day, two movies. Yeah. Well, two cinema trips. Um, yeah. So Oppenheimer, three years after Tenet. And uh, I think it's probably fair to say Chris Nolan has redeemed himself on this occasion. Not all the way. All right. Not for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got I've got some problems with Chris Nolan and I have for a while and I've been ruminating on them. <laughs> and I actually wrote an article about, um, well, explaining going into detail on my problem with Chris Nolan and his movies well his movies it's not personal <laughs> my problem with Chris Nolan's movies but I didn't put it out because I thought you know what I'll wait till after we do this yeah um, I thought maybe Oppenheimer would change my mind and then maybe that would make a better article or a better conversation or whatever <sighs> and it has I'm glad I didn't put the article out I think I don't know but yeah I really really enjoyed this movie I think this is probably yeah. my favourite Chris Nolan movie just just beating well it's the other the only one that's in the conversation really for me is Memento right um that still is best 100% but I think I enjoyed this more yeah. I enjoyed this a lot more yeah so I, I yeah I love this movie I, I didn't know very much about um, Robert J. Oppenheimer before mm. coming into this movie. Um, obviously, I you know I still can't really claim I know a lot coming out of the movie, but <laughs> it's made me really interested into who he was and the significance that he plays in history. Mm. And I am a sucker. I love politics. You know, I love politics. Yeah. And the, and I love. I I always kind of love films that kind of put you know politics as well to the forefront of you know, drama. You know, to me, there's nothing more exhilarating than real-life questionable decision-making. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was a, an awful lot of questionable and corrupt decision-making, obviously, at this point in time. Well, yeah, I suppose throughout sort of the 20th century, like, I think modern history or the, uh, history in the 20th century is, is fascinating. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, that's kind of non-statement, isn't it? But, like, there's so much so much happened in the space of like 50 years yeah well, I mean like about 100 years yeah. advances and... but around you know the world wars and the cold war like to Vietnam War like there's, there's so much history that can be explored there's so many individual stories that can be told that influence global politics and history of the world history mm. of humanity history of, and it's yeah, I mean, there's just so there's such a rich area of history. Yeah. So I, I love when we get, I, you know, I love when we get sort of historical dramas and biopics like this. I don't think, I don't think I can get bored of them. No, absolutely you know? not. Three hours too long. No, right amount. Barbie dragged more than this movie. Yeah, I mean, and that's not a slight at Barbie. That's not you know like at all. Like I enjoyed it, but Barbie was what an hour forty. Something yeah, like it was it was near in two hours. I mean, it was. I mean, we came out at two fifty, and it started at ten to one. Right. So, 
So yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, bang on. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not far from half the runtime of Oppenheimer. Yeah. And I was on the edge of my seat like the whole way through Oppenheimer. Yeah, I could feel you. I could see you through there. You know, you're just gripping <laughs> on. Feel that nervous I, energy. <laughs> I could see the hand on your face like through so much of that film. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So actually, I want to the. For me, the first 45 minutes was a bit problematic, though. All right. Um, I felt like Christopher Nolan at this time was basically trying... It was almost like he was trying to tell three chapters of a book at the set exactly the same time. And I yeah, think... Yeah, I know what you mean. Once the atomic... So... But actually, once the atomic... Once they created the atomic bomb, and then the other two parts of the story kind of followed after, mm. I thought it was... It had a much better flow to the film. I... I I thought the start at the first hour there was way too much jumping between the three chapters. You know whether it was um, the idea that the them developing the idea that the atomic bomb could be created, jumping to the um, the not court proceeding but the proceeding with the congressman Strauss. Yeah. And the um, the hearing, you know, the Oppenheimer hearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I There's felt three the first spaces hour, in the narrative, isn't there? They, they were just shooting that at you way too quickly. Yeah. Whether that was just to kind of get you involved in the story, you know, get get you as many as many elements of the story as early as possible. Mm. So so it so it made the end of the film a lot easier for you. I, mm. I don't know, but I, I did find that a little bit problematic. This is it. This is ex- this is exactly it. Like this is my problem with Chris Nolan. So, Oppen, I I really liked it. There are three distinct parts, and it mm. worked really well. Um, it's three traditional three act structure. First chapter was called Fission, wasn't it? Mm. It's was like a little one Fission. Now I missed the other two chapter headings. One was Fusion. Right. I did see one, the one, but I definitely missed three. I didn't. See it. So <laughs> the text was small on the screen. Obviously, it's a big screen. We tried to see this like. Um, in 70 millimeter and all of that but I didn't I didn't notice the chapter headings but you could tell where the shift was between mm. us obviously um, in a way I didn't need the, the headings at all now the first section is then is you know your establishment you're leading up to the creation of the bomb so this is Oppenheimer at university uh, a little bit of his sort of like education years the part where he poisons the apple um the second is the creation of the bomb, which is the heart of the movie, really. And the third it is, let's just call it like the McCarthy years. Oppenheimer being put on trial for his communist sympathies. And Strauss, his, his uh, potential election to be US Secretary of Commerce and the sort of political battle that goes along with that. Um, but the problem was with the first section, I, I agree. And it's that it's throughout the movie... Nolan's jumping around in narrative. He's jumping around in temporal moments. So he's going from, you know, Oppenheimer's youth to before the bomb to after the bomb to the black and white scenes during the the, uh, the let's call it the commerce trial or whatever with with Strauss, and you're jumping around so much in the narrative. It's like purposefully confusing. Now I completely understand why he did it in this movie, and it contributed really well to the idea that this movie isn't about Oppenheimer it's not about the individual it's not about the man it's about this moment in history it's about this period and it's about it's about it's a movie about historiography it's a movie about the perspective the different perspectives on a global event and how history is more than just the one man and that's incredible and, and, and that came out that came across really well that's brilliant it's art in that 
and it's great but this is like the first time he's used that technique for a decent reason mm. how many times can you, I mean Memento is like the, the movie of, of cutting up narratives and just moving them around and, and, and it's done you know maybe making sense maybe not like he loves doing this kind of thing so much of the time it's for no other reason than to confuse his audience it doesn't have any dramatic effect so it's in this area that Nolan has redeemed himself for me this particular area where he, he likes to cut about in narratives and be purposefully confusing um, and in this movie that was used to great effect that's redeemed so let's talk a little bit about Killian Murphy yeah. already tipped for Oscars I've seen um, amazing performance um, someone kind of wrote it as you know him being able to present Oppenheimer as this atomic age Frankenstein right you know atomic age Dr. Frankenstein the monster he's created yeah um, and uh, I mean really strangely um, he was given David Bowie as right. a as a as a like as a way to kind of as inspiration for the role inspiration for for the role yeah. that is really weird um so you know the the bony looks and and the Killian said something about the, the way he wore his clothes and stuff like that yeah he was given photos of of David Bowie while I was preparing for scenes and things like that oh, that's weird um but I mean I I think he definitely did a lot to kind of add all the tension that you were talking about and yeah I think it was it was amazing it was really really good and and this is his first big Hollywood film as the guy as the protagonist yeah yeah maybe true um, Oppenheimer's such a complicated guy he's yeah. so conflicted he's so at times emotionally unstable um, he's such a, a, a strange figure in history and just as a man and I think it's really hard to bring him to life now Killian Murphy is the guy for the job because they look so damn similar <laughs> like those sharp like cheekbones and like the hollow cheeks and the sort yeah. of the stare yeah it's all there it's like it's, it's good it's it's perfect but there were times I don't know there were times when I just saw I felt like I was watching Killian Murphy right there was just the a Killian splash, Murphy show there was a splash too much a splash it's just a smidge too much Tommy Shelby in this right okay. um, I, I think he needed to do some work to maybe separate Oppenheimer from that or from his previous roles just a little bit more now how you do that I don't know yeah because who is Oppenheimer like it's so hard to it's so hard to bring him to life because he's so conflicted mm. he's such a sort of a mystery in a way um, not that he didn't do a brilliant job because he's absolutely captivating on screen I thought the years when he was older yeah. were much better. Interesting. So you know when he's at, uh, he's on trial yeah. uh, with the, like, the McCarthy trials essentially like that Oppenheimer brilliant. The Oppenheimer that's talking to um, Einstein by the lake in Princeton brilliant. Like that's Oppenheimer. That's him. Yeah. But there were a couple of scenes you know in um, when the bomb was being created. Yeah. It's in Los Alamos. Yeah. Um, and you know, his youth at Cambridge and, and um, he did go to Harvard but I guess Caltech let's say um, they were less convincing that was where I saw the Thomas Shelby coming from but either way like, that's not I'm not trying to criticise um, 
Killian Murphy at all. It was a, it was brilliant, a brilliant portrayal. Like really cool, really enjoyed, uh, really captivating, really enjoying performance throughout. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gary Oldman playing another political figure. Sorry. Gary Oldman playing another political figure. As the, he was the president in this. What? <laughs> Gary Oldman played Truman. <laughs> yeah. What is it with Gary Oldman playing roles and <laughs> just and just no, and just managing to like hide the fact that it's him? I didn't notice <laughs> that at all. <laughs> no, no, yeah. That's crazy. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's mad. Yeah. He played Truman. Yeah. Wow. The, the, the shock in your face that was a bit concerning. <laughs> that's crazy. You were sitting there. You were saying that. I'm sitting there thinking like. He wasn't in this movie. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, no, that's damn, Gary that's crazy. I didn't notice that at all. He's he's like so consistent with that, surprising me. Mm. Obviously, I mean, I knew it was Churchill, but you know, when he's on screen, you're like, how is that Gary Oldman? I just don't see that at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow, fair, fair, fair play. I mean, it was only a very a bit uh, of a cameo, but yeah, it was only a very small, uh, small role. But then again, loads that this was a star-studded cast, and loads of them only had like a you know minutes on screen yeah I mean Rami Malek just showed up out of nowhere yeah like for like a couple of minutes yeah oh he comes back later and stuff yeah fine He's get, he gets his time but it's like a dash you know yeah and, and that happens with a lot of characters I mean to an extent like Florence Pugh was yeah, a, she didn't she sort of came and went because she's she's one of the the kind of star names when it when they talked about the red carpet yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that but she yeah she's she well she really played Jean, I was surprised that she was playing Jean actually um, because Jean, I mean, yeah, fine, important figure in Oppenheimer's life, but she's not there for long. Mm. Um, I think Kitty, in, in the story of his life, I would maybe argue that Kitty was far more relevant. Uh, maybe not. I guess Jean could tie into the Communist Party and that, but but whatever. Like, my point was that my point is that you know there were tons of huge names, and not all of them had much screen time. Mm. Um, <laughs> to the point that I didn't even notice Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of Florence Pugh, um, apparently these are the first ever Christopher Nolan sex scenes, and oh, yeah, and, and people have been, you know, people were extremely uncomfortable with them, especially when it was around the hearing, you know, when he was having to dis- describe oh, it yeah. in front of Emily Blunt, um, <clears throat> and I mean Chris Nolan, he obviously he's been uh, briefed by the PR. Uh, quoted Oppenheimer was split open for all to see oh okay what because like an atom splitting right yeah I, I, I mean refer to article from last week like about sex scenes like is it did it need yeah. to be there ah but there was a naked man in it though for a change very, very <laughs> yeah yeah and I'll give you that but like there were scenes of dialogue where they were both naked yeah like why? I mean, you know, I'm not mad at it. I don't think yeah, that it yeah. shouldn't be there or whatever. Why? But like, why? Yeah, and like the Did... scene, the scene on the chair in the um, in the trial. Mm-hmm. Why? That would have been yeah. powerful enough without it. Like, we get Kitty's jealous. Yeah, I, I, if you're going to explore that angle, like they didn't, they purposely didn't look at the, uh, uh, Oppenheimer's personal life in that way too much. Like one of his affairs is literally dropped as a bomb as a bombshell at the end mm. like in the corridor outside the hearing yeah, yeah. like it's not explored like in detail you know yeah. it doesn't go into it half as much as like as the biography does as American Prometheus like so if you're gonna do that do it if you're not don't put these scenes in that, are, that speak so much to you know that part of him the womanizer the adulterer like it's there it's relevant to his character but you can tell us in other ways mm. 
without like these sort of weird out of place public sex scenes mm. is that just Hollywood though at this point I, I don't know maybe it is yeah it's, it's not something that uh, that Chris Nolan's resorted to before but again I'm not anti sex scenes I'm just out of, I'm anti out of place ones and that one did feel like, like pretty much every time Florence Pugh is on, on screen she's naked mm. why <laughs> like, it didn't tell her story in an effective way in fact it, I don't think we learned anything about Jean at all no she was more of a <clears throat> she was I, I, it was almost more of a an angle just to develop the, the Oppenheimer um, character you know his personality his psychology yeah but when in actual fact Gene Tatlock was paramount in connecting him to to communists mm. or to the communist party and she was damning in his tri- in his McCarthy trial which maybe didn't come through which didn't that really much. come through because in those moments they chose to focus on on uh, Kitty's feelings about you know with the sex scene like that yeah. pushed Kitty's jealousy which is understandable, but it's just not as relevant to the story. Mm. Anyway. Does society have someone new to blame for wars, you know, <laughs> and the the nuclear age of, you know, everyone threatening each other with nuclear power and things like that? You know, has this film actually created a, someone for people that maybe didn't know why all these... You know, conflicts are happening. Is is Oppenheimer now a new a new person to blame for people that maybe were ignorant to, you know, to the actual history of the situation? No. Oh, this isn't a new story. It's, it's not a new history. story, but how many? You know, let's say how many people of our generation know about Oppenheimer, and his what his acts right, actually yeah. led to. I mean, you know, you know, are people gonna? You, you know is this a, I feel like I'm reaching with politics all the time you know is this America going oh look it's you know it's his fault no it's, this the, situation. It's, it's, it's the opposite and I, yeah. and I think yeah I think in this case I, in fact in the case of the the Barbie Barbie being a shot at China case as well <laughs> you're reaching <laughs> we're reaching too far with those like um, no I don't think it is at all because that's not the story of Oppenheimer and it's not the story that Nolan's telling mm. Um, the biography's been out for years, fine, but obviously you're right, this movie's brought way more attention to the story. Mm. But the story's part of history. Um, and Nolan's definitely told it in a way that is not biased one way or another. I mean, okay, yeah, it does portray Strauss as the, vi- as the villain, which is nothing new. Um, but, you know, historiography works like two ways, and there's lots of people that, that have actually argued that Oppenheimer, I don't know, maybe was communist spy or whatever like there's there's still historiography that suggests both ways it's a it's not it's a conflict not dissimilar from Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr in that it's very easy to look at it one way history has has painted one as the hero and the other as the villain when it's not at all that black and white mm. now don't get me wrong I don't think Strauss was a particularly good bloke <laughs> but neither was Oppenheimer mm. and, and they weren't exactly like enemies in that way they weren't fighting you know it's a lot more complicated than than Oppenheimer created the bomb therefore he's a bad dude Mm. it's just not that's just not the case like it's way more uh, way less black and white than that it's way more grey than that yeah as were most situations so so you despite Chris Nolan not trying to paint 
a black and white picture of that. Do you think, you know, people will come out of that film looking at Strauss as a bit of a bad guy? Yeah, 100%. And, and sympathise with Oppenheimer? Yes, I do. Mm. Because, it, I mean, and in, and in that sense, I, I would agree. Uh, I think that's I think that's correct. Like, I, I do think the likes of Strauss and, and McCarthy and... What was it Roger Robb? Yeah. Um, I mean, that was that's a blot on America's history, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know that the American government has come out since and apologized. Of course, um, Oppenheimer later got the award, whatever it was, it wasn't a Nobel Prize. He, he, you know, won the award, it was given to him by Kennedy, mm. but Kennedy unfortunately was killed before, so it was the next president, uh, Lyndon. Lyndon was after Kennedy, yeah, I think, and um. Yeah, I mean, you know, so we, I guess that's the American government trying to redeem itself and, you know. It's very bleak, isn't it? I mean, the the line, um, you know, in the movie where, where Killeen says, you know, you know, we we bombed, an, you know, a, a, an enemy on its knees, basically. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that's what happened. A, a real example was made out of um, Japan. The final line, of course, is when they uh, it, between um, you know, in the in the movie, not the very final line, but the final scene when um Oppenheimer and Einstein are talking, and you find out what they said to each other mm. that uh, made Einstein not meet uh, Strauss's eye. Um, in that scene, Einstein says to him, "You know, they'll they will try and amend this later, but remember that's not for you." And that's the underlining of the point that this isn't a story about one man, mm. and it's not you know like okay we accused him of being a communist spy and now we're retracting that and we're saying that it's a blot on our history and it's and it's for him it's it's not this this entire piece this entire movie this entire period of history and this entire story is not about just Oppenheimer it's about an entire period an yeah. entire process an entire moment and change that changed the world as we know it and i guess all of that what i'm actually talking about is just a focus on historiography and as you say, the the very argument should should the bomb have been dropped? Should we have bombed Japan? Should we have uh, mm. have um, dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and or Nagasaki? Um, well, not we. <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, but, yeah. I know what you mean. I'm not. I'm not uh, tying myself to the American government. Or um, I mean, as a humanity, yeah, should yeah. we have dropped the bomb? And that, the, you know, the. Nolan actually addresses that that question. We actually get a camera. You actually get put in the room when um, when they're discussing that, and that's brilliant. Like that very historiographical uh, historiography, <laughs> that argument in histor in historiography is put on screen. Yeah, and I loved that. I love that stuff was like such that, yeah. a fascinating moment. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And and um, when the the senator rolls out Kyoto because. Him and his wife are on yeah. vacation there. Just, like that's how that's how decisions are made, and I fully believe that yeah, that's yeah, how yeah, decisions yeah, yeah. can be made. Everything, and I mean, you know, that's that in a way is maybe not foreshadowing, but it uh, it links to Strauss's personal vendetta against Oppenheimer. It's all these like it's not these major decisions that one man or one, or, or a small group of men individuals are making that change the course of history. It's these tiny anecdotal kind of personal like flippant decisions yeah. it's not this like grandiose man changing the world through sheer determination and hard work and yeah. ethic and all that 
it's 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 stuff as petty as well me and my wife went on our honeymoon there so we're not bombing that place and that's how Kyoto wasn't bombed like that's crazy and then equally Oppenheimer made a fool out of Strauss used the term lowly um, shoe salesman all that kind of thing and that that resulted in Strauss harboring this lifelong resentment that's put him on trial in the McCarthy yeah. area, era and lost him both his security clearance and, and all of his credibility and all of his life yeah and I think it's I think there's just such an effective way of telling a story in history and putting a like a, I guess a personal spin on it and just taking away from like the, the grandiose idea yeah this the, was all about Oppenheimer this was yeah, all about yeah. one or two or small group group of individuals yeah oh, amazing I loved it yeah so how much credit can we really give Nolan though and I, I think I've come up with this before how much credit can you take for portraying something that was already written for you nah loads yeah like we, we, we have talked about so this, this before what yeah, was it's it? not original that's what I'm saying it's not original the the only type of originals of, of non-original story that I can forgive it is the historical drama is the biopic because mm-hmm. it's so interesting <laughs> and you can you, yeah find the stories there but the way that you tell it is everything yeah so it's a different slightly different art it's not fiction in a way it is we're, we're categorizing it I and mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't fiction because we're talking about storytelling um, and I think you know we'd never we'd never sit here and talk about a documentary because I mean we'd be talking about the real world yeah now in this we are of course talking about history we're talking about the real world but this is a story this is the, the part of history that is a story right and we know that because it's a biopic it's the way that Nolan's telling it that's was interesting I mean Nolan gets all of the credit for it I mean fine you know the acting of course and, and, and everybody else that's part of the crew does an incredible job so pay your damn writers and, and all of your crew more and your actors however yeah, this is Nolan's piece. Nolan's at the helm, so he get, of course he gets all of the credit. Like he's, as I've just said, like he's brought a story to life in such a unique way, mm. and I don't think you can give him enough credit for that. And this is coming from a guy that hates Chris Nolan movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely. Um, I, I'm not one for watching movies more than once, but even during this film, I was like, I can't wait to watch this movie again. Yeah. So it's definitely had an impact. That does slightly speak to one of my criticisms, though, which is that Chris Nolan movies are really hard to follow. And that, that so like up until this movie, you know, okay, fine, this has redeemed some areas for me, but there are still a couple that stand out as things that just like rub me up the wrong way about Chris Nolan movies. One of the biggest that came through in this one is the sound design. Oh yeah, like bro, what is it gonna take? Nolan for you to just turn the music down a little bit and turn the dialogue up so we can fucking hear it like yeah, God I sake. felt like we needed subtitles at times I need yeah. I watch everything and I didn't with feel like that during Barbie exactly yeah. I watch everything with subtitles all the time like I, I can't I, I just like to have them there I find it interesting because usually it's the script and sometimes the differences are kind of entertaining or whatever but uh, maybe I've also bad hearing fine but like I've sat through loads of Chris Nolan movies in the past in the cinema and been like oh this cinema's like not great like the sound isn't isn't brilliant and I've heard other people say exactly the same thing it's Chris Nolan himself 
Mm. I mean, fine, maybe it's like the audio text or whatever, but ultimately, like the box stops with Nolan because, as I say, he's at the helm. Yeah. So, like, you're, he's responsible for it. Now, everybody in Nolan movie speaks so quickly. Yeah. And that comes back to what you were saying earlier about the, uh, the in the first um, act of the movie, it cuts around way too much and it's just way too confusing. Everybody talks, I guess, like I am now, like they're in a rush. You know, everyone yeah. talks like, like there's only a finite amount of time. Everyone's very quippy and exact with what they say. There's no like um and ah and stopping and thinking about it. Everyone's like, sometimes it's almost like, you know, Oppenheimer had started talking before Strauss had even finished his sentence. You know, it's that tight. And I guess that speaks to um, Nolan's ability to do really economic um, and streamlined storytelling, which is brilliant. But also, some when when you mix that with with characters mumbling slightly, because it does feel like Nolan's stopping after every take and being like, "Oh, Robert Downey Jr., just do us a favor, say that again, but mumble more." Because <laughs> like, I'm literally straining to hear what people are saying. Yeah. Then you've got your Hans Zimmer, or what I don't know if it's Hans Zimmer this time around. It usually is. You've got your Hans Zimmer, you know string quartet going over the top like turned up to 11 yeah and he like I don't know what this I'm missing lines yeah and I'm so invested and I'm, and it's so interesting and you want to like absorb you it all hear every line but I just it's almost like I want it just a bit slowed down and a bit louder like, yeah. like you know like you're in the hearing and they're you know they're questioning Oppenheimer and there's just this suspenseful music in the yeah. background that's just every time every now and then there's a peak where it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah, it yeah. just uh, you know the volume turns up for a few seconds and then comes back down and, and just you just miss a key part of, yeah. part of the dialogue and, and it did definitely happens more often than it should in mm. Chris Nolan films it's you're yeah. on the edge of your seat, not just because of the tension, but because you're literally straining to hear what characters are saying. Yeah. And that's yeah. so frustrating, especially when you want to absorb it all. Now, the real like sin in this is that I think it's intentional. I, I don't necessarily, I'm not saying this is actually my opinion, but sometimes I worry that it's intentional. Mm. Maybe it's a ploy to get you to come back and watch it again. When you really like, you know, because I, because I'm literally sitting there thinking, oh, I'll have, I can't wait to watch it again and catch that line properly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I should, shouldn't <laughs> be thinking that in the cinema. But equally, I think this was the case with Tenant. I think this was the case with Inception. I think this was the case in Interstellar. That it's done purposefully to make the plot for harder to follow. Nolan intentionally tackles really complex subjects like space exploration, quantum physics, yeah. the, the concept of threat simulation theory or, or you know injecting yourself into other people's dreams and stuff like real life scientific theory like edge fringe theories and stuff that are like really interesting and he'll tackle them with a story and that's a super engaging subject but he makes it purposefully really hard to follow but I don't really understand what he gains from that well it's kind of like he's gatekeeping his own ideas it's kind of like <laughs> I joked to you like earlier today like it's like when you start to get a chance of following the plot, it turns the music up. It's <laughs> <laughs> so I was getting a bit too like understandable for them. Like, gotta make it. You know, they're it, nodding, Chris. Yeah. They're nodding. This <laughs> is in is in every cinema. Just like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating. I, I maybe that's like you know paranoid or like a cynical of me, but it does feel a bit like he sort of he tackles these complex subjects dumps a load of exposition on us at the start usually through Michael Caine which is really annoying I hate the exposition in, um, in Chris Nolan movies that's probably my biggest problem with him but that's something else and then makes up for that expo exposition like you get this injection of information you're trying to hold it all in your head the plot started and then the music's turned up the sound the, the dialogue's turned down 
everyone's kind of blurred together you're jumping around in narrative it's, he's trying to throw you off and mm. um, sometimes that works and as I say in Oppenheimer it all all of these moving parts bar the sound design contributed to the to the, the point he was trying to make and the effect of the film but in others it feels like a cheap trick mm. and I guess that's the bottom line what I'm frustrated I would know that there were um, less explosions than I thought there were going to be in this film. I'd originally suggested to watch this in 4D, um, which I was, you know, I was thinking, oh yeah, the seats are going to shake. It's going to be absolutely crazy. <laughs> what even is 4D? Um, well, I think you can smell things and or, or like you can actually feel things happen. It's not just like obviously 3D. It's like all around you. But 4D, you can feel things happen. So I don't really, really, felt I don't really fancy that experience for, for <laughs> just shaking in the chair. <laughs> um, but um, I, I mean, I'm glad it was a bit toned down. Like it was first, it was just the image of it. You mean they exploded the bomb itself? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually was sitting there holding my ears in preparation for it. Well, being so was I because I was anticipating the you know that same sound design effect to just we're all going to get blown out of our seats and the speakers in the cinema are going to explode. <laughs> because, yeah, like, the the tension in that scene, the countdown and all of that, like, I mean, it's incredible. But then, yeah, the bomb, the actual explosion, I think, was a little bit underwhelming. And in a way, that was, like, a shift in focus from this movie's about the creation of the atomic bomb and the effects of it and the ramifications of dropping that bomb, um, both on mankind and on Oppenheimer as, as an individual. All that's going to take a back seat now. And now it's now we're yeah. moving on to uh, the political, uh, well, yeah, the the McCarthy era and the political problems that um, Oppenheimer had after after the hydrogen. So people are saying he did detonate a real bomb. Are they still saying that? Yeah, like quite confidently that he set an actual real bomb. What, like a real atomic bomb off? No, not an atomic. Oh right, bomb. okay, yeah, because I'd heard people say that, and I've heard no, I've seen Nolan's response being like. I'm complimented, but I'm a little bit scared that you think I have the power to do that. <laughs> Using forced perspective, they they managed they achieved the proper scale. So it wasn't CGI. Anyway. Yeah, there was no CGI in this movie. Was that's really impressive. They could see it all the way from Asteroid City. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, man. Here's a question for you, and this is, I think this is a point that, um, it's kind of something that you'd usually say, actually, and that's that maybe this movie's kind of tackled too much. It told too many stories. So, like, as we've discussed, this isn't an Oppenheimer biopic. It is, but it's not, it's in, its primary focus isn't just the story of his life. It's also this period in history. The second is the creation of the atomic bomb, and the dropping of said bomb on Japan twice and the ramifications of that. And the third is, you know, the Red Scare and McCarthyism. All three of those things are tackled in this movie. Now, you could have made a movie, like, on each of them individually. I'm not saying Nolan should have made three movies. I'm saying, has he kind of, like, satirized too much? Because I'd watch all three of those. And there's an opportunity, maybe, for, for somebody to come along and make a movie about... The, the witch trials that were the McCarthy era and the Red Scare or I don't know the the hydrogen bombs yeah. creation, maybe that's kind of Hollywood though isn't it I don't think you're going to get the the massive footfall 
separating this out. I think what's happened is no, he's, he's compacted yeah, these. You're right, you're right. He's compacted these three very significant events, and that maybe on an individual basis. All right, the dropping of the bomb would be an extremely, you know, uh, extremely dramatic film. You know, they'll probably cast the rock somehow in it. Um, <laughs> But like you know, the McCarthyism. Um, John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've already seen John Cena on screen today. Um, you know, I think the three split out. Maybe, un- unfortunately, I would say would not generate the audiences. Maybe you could. Maybe there could be a TV series at some point. Well, of course, it just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, this movie is partially based on. I mean, it said it was based on the um, on Oppenheimer's biography, the um, American Prometheus, mm-hmm. and the other one. That actually um, named the book. Yeah, which I thought was kind of strange, actually, because you've done a biopic. A four, four, that's not based on. Yeah, that's not. You based are the on American book. Prometheus. I wonder if anyone actually called him that. Uh, I don't know. Because that what the, you know that's a line in the film was well, the title of the book. Of course, like, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I get it, but I find it strange um, that Nolan said, "Oh, it's based on the book." It's not. Ba- it's a biopic. You're not mm. basing it on the biography. Yeah. Presumably, you've read the, the biography as, as research. I think we'd all assumed that anyway. It does say on the book that inspiration for the upcoming major motion picture. Well, yeah, that's because of, they've reprinted it after the movie's been announced. Yeah. <laughs> and he's is the first. Christopher Nolan is the first quote on it as well. Wow, I actually hadn't noticed that. A riveting account of one of history's most essential and paradoxical figures. Yeah, I mean, fair, yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's such an important story and it's like so crucial to the 20th century. I mean, it's the result of the First World War, it's the result of the Second World War, it's, it's the beginning of the Cold War, it's the beginning of geopolitical relationships now, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, or global political relationships even, like it's, it's, a, it's such an important it's almost, story. It's almost not even history because the ramifications are ongoing. <laughs> yeah, well that's it. I mean, that's the last line, isn't it? Like, we've set off a chain reaction of events that will lead to humanity's destruction yeah yeah which is extremely bleak <laughs> that would be a really good place to end it but um we're not going to <laughs> because you've got another criticism on you well so so i've got a i'm trying to find a a criticism from a viewer right um just because i think you know it was really good and and but it would just be nice to see if anyone kind of really didn't like this film right here we go so we've got a couple here that, so the, the caption is very intellectually intellectually oriented and boring for a regular audience it's only for people who understand and are seriously involved if you want to watch a movie to relax or get entertained this is not such movie <laughs> that bomb scene is like 10 seconds and whole drama is very boring Another disappointment of this director. Mm. Like the movie Tenet, um, there is a get to the point. (laughs) Yeah, get to the point. It took too long and the drama felt like I was watching a documentary. But Robert and Murphy were good, especially in scenes towards the end. All the enthusiasm on watching the bomb scene lasted barely 10 seconds and it's not even a big scene. It's like any other bomb in any other movie. Yeah, that's, I suppose that's fair enough. Like the, as we said, the bomb is a bit underwhelming. Here's another one. Very good acting, but nothing else. Not gonna say it was a bad movie, but it was average at best. This person rated it one out of ten, so wow. average at best. <laughs> okay. Average would be five, wouldn't it? Despite the amazing <laughs> acting, 
The movie falls short in every other aspect. The short scenes and continuous cutting, okay, well, there you go, and shifting from past to future, where some scenes didn't serve any purpose or help understand, in fact, makes you more lo- lost alongside the unnecessary characters. Unnecessary characters? All of the, the previous added 40 to 50 extra minutes that made it a boring film. Disappointed mainly because of the hype, but honestly, a movie mainly about bombs had one bobs- bomb scene, and 90% was meetings of people grilling each other, with, <laughs> with loads of music in the background. <laughs> well, there was a lot of people grilling each other, which I personally love. Um, but, yeah, so, I, I mean, so some people found it boring, you know, other head... Other headlines, test your patience, three hours of nonsense. Devastatingly boring. Three hours of nonsense? I love this name. Floppenheimer. Hey. <laughs> Atomic yeah, weapons, question mark. Question. The Russians do it better. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, yeah, disappointing, boring. I mean, I think you raised the point at the very start. You have to be interested yeah, well, of course you do. I mean, I guess that's the problem with all Chris Nolan movies. Like, I, I agree with the sentiment of that first comment uh, in regards to Chris Nolan movies generally, which is that like a lot of them are quite boring. A lot of them do intentionally try and throw you off and confuse you and stuff. And if you're not interested in the subject matter, you're going to have a horrible time. Yeah. Now, I, I am fascinated by this period of history and I'm fascinated by Oppenheimer as a character. So I was on the edge of my seat throughout. But yeah, I mean... I do. I was concerned, leading you know, going into this film, seeing how people are responding to it already, and Robert Downey Jr. himself saying, "This is the best movie I've ever been in." Mm. I was thinking like, "This is well, this is going to be overrated already." Like, yeah, it wasn't. It was. Re- I really enjoyed it. I still have my problems with Chris Nolan. They still are exactly the same, which is that. There's way too much exposition, the sound design's terrible, and he's just incapable of not telling uh, and showing instead. But one of the best movies of the year so far for me. Mm. Would you ever think that a Christopher Nolan film would be a frontrunner for uh, the Green Prince Awards, end of year awards, for best film? Oh, it probably is, isn't it? Yeah, I, I did not think that. Didn't think that, but then he's probably he does what, what one movie a year, so I guess the chances were pretty low. So yeah, that is really surprising. I think more so that Ryan Gosling as Ken might be uh, on my shortlist for best character. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably more surprising. <laughs> <laughs>